0: Chapter Twenty Four of Pierre, or the Ambiguities, by Herman Melville. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lucy at the Apostles, Chapter One. Next morning, the recently appropriated room adjoining on the other side of the dining room presented a different aspect from that which met the eye of Delly upon first unlocking it with Pierre on the previous evening two squares of faded carpeting of different patterns covered the middle of the floor leaving toward the surbase a wide blank margin around them a small glass hung in the pier beneath that a little stand with a foot or two of carpet before it in one corner was a cot neatly equipped with bedding at the outer side of the cot another strip of carpeting was placed lucy's delicate feet should not shiver on the naked floor pierre isabel and Delly were standing in the room isabel's eyes were fixed on the cot i think it will be pretty cosy now said Delly, palely glancing all round and then adjusting the pillow anew there is no warmth though said isabel pierre there is no stove in the room she will be very cold the pipe can we not send it this way and she looked more intently at him than the question seemed to warrant let the pipe stay where it is isabel said pierre answering her own pointed gaze the dining-room door can stand open she never liked sleeping in a heated room let all be it is well eh but there is a grate here i see i will buy coals yes yes that can be easily done a little fire of a morning the expense will be nothing stay we will have a little fire here now for a welcome she shall always have fire better change the pipe pierre said isabel that would be permanent and save the coals it shall not be done isabel doth not that pipe and that warmth go into thy room shall i rob my wife good delhi even to benefit my most devoted and true-hearted cousin oh i should say not sir not at all said delhi hysterically a triumphant fire flashed in isabel's eye her full bosom arched out but she was silent she may be here now at any moment isabel said pierre come we will meet her in the dining-room that is our reception place thou knowest so the three went into the dining-room chapter two they had not been there long when pierre who had been pacing up and down suddenly paused as if struck by some laggard thought which had just occurred to him at the eleventh hour first he looked toward Delly as if about to bid her quit the apartment while he should say something private to isabel but as if on a second thought holding the contrary of this procedure most advisable he without preface at once addressed isabel in his ordinary conversational tone so that Delly could not but plainly hear him whether she would or no my dear isabel though as i said to thee before my cousin miss tartan that strange and wilful nun-like girl is at all hazards mystically resolved to come and live with us yet it must be quite impossible that her friends can approve in her such a singular step a step even more singular isabel than thou in thy unsophisticatedness canst at all imagine i shall be immensely deceived if they do not to their very utmost strive against it now what i am going to add may be quite unnecessary but i cannot avoid speaking it for all that isabel with empty hands sat silent but intently and expectantly eyeing him while behind her chair Delly was bending her face low over her knitting which she had seized so soon as pierre had begun speaking and with trembling fingers was nervously twitching the points of her long needles it was plain that she awaited pierre's accents with hardly much less eagerness than isabel marking well this expression in delhi and apparently not unpleased with it pierre continued but by no slightest outward tone or look seemed addressing his remarks to any one but isabel now what i mean dear isabel is this if that very probable hostility on the part of miss tartan's friends to her fulfilling her strange resolution if any of that hostility should chance to be manifested under thine eye then thou certainly wilt know how to account for it and as certainly wilt draw no inference from it in the minutest conceivable degree involving anything sinister in me no i am sure thou wilt not my dearest isabel for understand me regarding this strange mood in my cousin as a thing wholly above my comprehension and indeed regarding my poor cousin herself as a rapt enthusiast in some wild mystery utterly unknown to me and unwilling ignorantly to interfere in what almost seems some supernatural thing i shall not repulse her coming however violently her friends may seek to stay it i shall not repulse as certainly as i have not invited but a neutral attitude sometimes seems a suspicious one now what i mean is this let all such vague suspicions of me if any be confined to lucy's friends but let not such absurd misgivings come near my dearest isabel to give the least uneasiness isabel tell me have i not now said enough to make plain what i mean or indeed is not all i have said wholly unnecessary seeing that when one feels deeply conscientious one is often apt to seem superfluously and indeed unpleasantly and unbeseemingly scrupulous speak my own isabel and he stepped nearer to her reaching forth his arm thy hand is the caster's ladle pierre which holds me entirely fluid into thy forms and slightest moods of thought thou pourest me and i there solidify to that form and take it on and thenceforth wear it till once more thou mouldest me anew if what thou tellest me be thy thought then how can i help its being mine my pierre the gods made thee of a holy day when all the common world was done and shaped thee leisurely in elaborate hours thou paragon so saying in a burst of admiring love and wonder pierre paced the room while isabel sat silent leaning on her hand and half veiled with her hair Delly's nervous stitches became less convulsive she seemed soothed some dark and vague conceit seemed driven out of her by something either directly expressed by pierre or inferred from his expressions chapter three pierre pierre quick quick they are dragging me back oh quick dear pierre what is that swiftly cried isabel rising to her feet and amazedly glancing toward the door leading into the corridor but pierre darted from the room prohibiting any one from following him half way down the stairs a slight airy almost unearthly figure was clinging to the baluster and two young men one in naval uniform were vainly seeking to remove the two thin white hands without hurting them they were glen stanley and frederick the elder brother of lucy in a moment pierre's hands were among the rest villain damn thee cried frederick and letting go the hand of his sister he struck fiercely at pierre but the blow was intercepted by pierre thou hast bewitched thou damned juggler the sweetest angel defend thyself nay nay cried Glen, catching the drawn rapier of the frantic brother and holding him in his powerful grasp he is unarmed this is no time or place to settle our feud with him thy sister sweet lucy let us save her first and then what thou wilt pierre Glendinning. if thou art but the little finger of a man begone with thee from hence thy depravity thy pollutedness is that of a fiend thou canst not desire this thing the sweet girl is mad pierre stepped back a little and looked palely and haggardly at all three i render no accounts i am what i am this sweet girl this angel whom ye two defiled by your touches she is of age by the law she is her own mistress by the law and now i swear she shall have her will unhand the girl let her stand alone see she will faint let her go i say and again his hands were among them suddenly as they all for the one instant vaguely struggled the pale girl drooped and fell sideways toward pierre and unprepared for this the two opposite champions unconsciously relinquished their hold tripped and stumbled against each other and both fell on the stairs snatching lucy in his arms pierre darted from them gained the door drove before him isabel and Delly, who affrighted had been lingering there and bursting into the prepared chamber laid lucy on her cot then swiftly turned out of the room and locked them all three in and so swiftly like lightning was this whole thing done that not till the lock clicked did he find glen and frederick fiercely fronting him gentlemen it is all over this door is locked she is in women's hands stand back as the two infuriated young men now caught at him to hurl him aside several of the apostles rapidly entered having been attracted by the noise drag them off from me cried pierre they are trespassers drag them off immediately glenn and frederick were pinioned by twenty hands and in obedience to a sign from pierre were dragged out of the room and dragged downstairs and given into the custody of a passing officer as two disorderly youths invading the sanctuary of a private retreat in vain they fiercely expostulated but at last as if now aware that nothing farther could be done without some previous legal action they most reluctantly and chafingly declared themselves ready to depart accordingly they were let go but not without a terrible menace of swift retribution directed to pierre chapter four happy is the dumb man in the hour of passion he makes no impulsive threats and therefore seldom falsifies himself in the transition from choler to calm proceeding into the thoroughfare after leaving the apostles it was not very long ere glen and frederick concluded between themselves that lucy could not so easily be rescued by threat or force the pale inscrutable determinateness and flinchless intrepidity of pierre now began to domineer upon them for any social unusualness or greatness is sometimes most impressive in the retrospect what pierre had said concerning lucy's being her own mistress in the eye of the law this now recurred to them after much tribulation of thought the more collected glen proposed that frederick's mother should visit the rooms of pierre he imagined that though insensible to their own united intimidations lucy might not prove deaf to the maternal prayers had mrs tartan been a different woman than she was had she indeed any disinterested agonies of a generous heart and not mere match-making mortifications however poignant then the hope of frederick and glen might have had more likelihood in it nevertheless the experiment was tried but signally failed in the combined presence of her mother pierre isabel and Delly, and addressing pierre and isabel as mr and mrs glendinning lucy took the most solemn vows upon herself to reside with her present host and hostess until they should cast her off in vain her by turns suppliant and exasperated mother went down on her knees to her or seemed almost on the point of smiting her in vain she painted all the scorn and the loathing sideways hinted of the handsome and gallant glen threatened her that in case she persisted her entire family would renounce her and though she should be starving would not bestow one morsel upon such a recreant and infinitely worse than dishonourable girl to all this lucy now entirely unmenaced in person replied in the gentlest and most heavenly manner yet with a collectedness and steadfastness from which there was nothing to hope what she was doing was not of herself she had been moved to it by all-encompassing influences above around and beneath she felt no pain for her own condition her only suffering was sympathetic she looked for no reward the essence of well-doing was the consciousness of having done well without the least hope of reward concerning the loss of worldly wealth and sumptuousness and all the brocaded applauses of drawing-rooms these were no loss to her for they had always been valueless nothing was she now renouncing but in acting upon her present inspiration she was inheriting everything indifferent to scorn she craved no pity as to the question of her sanity that matter she referred to the verdict of angels and not to the sordid opinions of man if any one protested that she was defying the sacred counsels of her mother she had nothing to answer but this that her mother possessed all her daughterly deference but her unconditional obedience was elsewhere due let all hope of moving her be immediately and once for all abandoned one only thing could move her and that would only move her to make her forever immovable that thing was death such wonderful strength and such wonderful sweetness such inflexibility in one so fragile would have been matter for marvel to any observer but to her mother it was very much more for like many other superficial observers forming her previous opinion of lucy upon the slightness of her person and the dulcetness of her temper mrs tartan had always imagined that her daughter was quite incapable of any such daring act as if sterling heavenliness were incompatible with heroicness these two are never found apart nor though pierre knew more of lucy than any one else did this most singular behaviour in her fail to amaze him seldom even had the mystery of isabel fascinated him more with a fascination partaking of the terrible the mere bodily aspect of lucy as changed by her more recent life filled him with the most powerful and novel emotions that unsullied complexion of bloom was now entirely gone without being any way replaced by sallowness as is usual in similar instances and as if her body indeed were the temple of god and marble indeed were the only fit material for so holy a shrine a brilliant supernatural whiteness now gleamed in her cheek her head sat on her shoulders as a chiselled statue's head and the soft firm light in her eyes seemed as much a prodigy as though a chiselled statue should give token of vision and intelligence isabel also was most strangely moved by this sweet unearthliness in the aspect of lucy but it did not so much persuade her by any common appeals to her heart as irrespectively commend her by the very signet of heaven in the deference with which she ministered to lucy's little occasional wants there was more of blank spontaneousness than compassionate voluntariness and when it so chanced that owing perhaps to some momentary jarring of the distant and lonely guitar as lucy was so mildly speaking in the presence of her mother a sudden just audible submissively answering musical string tone came through the open door from the adjoining chamber then isabel as if seized by some spiritual awe fell on her knees before lucy and made a rapid gesture of homage yet still somehow as it were without evidence of voluntary will finding all her most ardent efforts ineffectual mrs tartan now distressedly motioned to pierre and isabel to quit the chamber that she might urge her entreaties and menaces in private but lucy gently waved them to stay and then turned to her mother henceforth she had no secrets but those which would also be secrets in heaven whatever was publicly known in heaven should be publicly known on earth there was no slightest secret between her and her mother wholly confounded by this inscrutableness of her so alienated and infatuated daughter mrs tartan turned inflamedly upon pierre and bade him follow her forth but again lucy said nay there were no secrets between her mother and pierre she would anticipate everything there calling for pen and paper and a book to hold on her knee and write she traced the following lines and reached them to her mother i am lucy tartan i have come to dwell during their pleasure with mr and mrs pierre glendinning of my own unsolicited free-will if they desire it i shall go but no other power shall remove me except by violence and against any violence i have the ordinary appeal to the law read this madame said mrs tartan tremblingly handing it to isabel and eyeing her with a passionate and disdainful significance i have read it said isabel quietly after a glance and handing it to pierre as if by that act to show that she had no separate decision in the matter and do you sir too indirectly connive said mrs tartan to pierre when he had read it i render no accounts madame this seems to be the written and final calm will of your daughter as such you had best respect it and depart mrs tartan glanced despairingly and insensibly about her then fixing her eyes on her daughter spoke girl here where i stand i forever cast thee off nevermore shalt thou be vexed by my maternal entreaties i shall instruct thy brothers to disown thee i shall instruct glen stanley to banish thy worthless image from his heart if banished thence it be not already by thine own incredible folly and depravity for thee mr monster the judgment of god will overtake thee for this and for thee madam i have no words for the woman who will connivingly permit her own husband's paramour to dwell beneath her roof for thee frail one to delhi thou needest no amplification a nest of vileness and now surely whom god himself have abandoned for ever, a mother may quit never more to revisit this parting maternal malediction seemed to work no visibly corresponding effect upon Lucy. already she was so marble white that fear could no more blanch her if indeed fear was then at all within her heart, for as the highest and purest and thinnest ether remains unvexed by all the tumults of the inferior air so that transparent ether of her cheek that clear mild azure of her eye showed no sign of passion as her terrestrial mother stormed below helpings she had from unstirring arms glimpses she caught of aid invisible sustained she was by those high powers of immortal love that once siding with the weakest reed which the utmost tempest tosses then that utmost tempest shall be broken down before the irresistible resistings of that weakest reed end of book twenty four